It is Friday, March 4th, and this is People Every Day. Hello, everyone. I'm Nigel Smith, and I'm very excited to be your host today while Janine enjoys her much-deserved vacation. We've got a great show planned with some incredible guests and stories, and I'm happy to report it's Friday. So we have some new music to send you off into the weekend. With all that said, let's jump right in. Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas are expecting baby number two. Rumors of a pregnancy have been floating around for several weeks. The singer and Game of Thrones star were photographed taking a dip in Miami earlier this week, raising suspicion of a baby bump. The couple has been together since 2016 and welcomed daughter Willa into the world in July 2020. Congrats to the growing family. Well, now I feel like a real host of the show because, of course, there is new Kanye news to get to. Yesterday, his former flame, Julia Fox, revealed more about her relationship with the controversial rapper. The actress told the New York Times it was ultimately their busy schedule that led to the breakup after their whirlwind 15 days together. Fox said, quote, I tried my best to make it work. I already had a jam-packed life. How do I fit this really big personality into this already full life? It just wasn't sustainable, end quote. While never formally calling each other boyfriend and girlfriend, Fox said she's not worried about Wes sharing anything too personal about their time together, saying, quote, if you come for me, I'm going to come for you. And I'm really good at coming for people. I just go straight for the jugular. I don't think he would be dumb enough to do that. Yikes. Now, I want to know what Kanye knows. Good thing he's terrible at staying quiet. In other Kanye West universe news, writer-director James Gunn spoke out in support of Pete Davidson. Kanye's music video for the recently released song Easy depicts the murder of the SNL frontman, who, of course, is dating Kanye's ex, Kim Kardashian. Gunn directed Davidson in last year's The Suicide Squad, and in a tweet posted shortly after the release of the music video, the Guardians of the Galaxy filmmaker said, quote, For the record, Pete Davidson is one of the nicest, sweetest guys I know. A truly generous, tender, and funny spirit, he treats everyone around him with respect, end quote. Followers were quick to point out that Kim Kardashian liked the tweet from Gunn. Moving on from Kanye and Kim to Kutcher and Kunis. I was born in Chernivtsi, Ukraine in 1983. I came to America in 1991. I have always considered myself an American, a proud American. I love everything that this country has done for myself and my family. But today, I have never been more proud to be a Ukrainian. And I've never been more proud to be married to a Ukrainian. Actors Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis announced on Instagram yesterday that they are launching a fundraiser to support refugee and humanitarian aid for the people of Ukraine. Through GoFundMe, the husband and wife duo is looking to raise upwards of $30 million for Flexport.org, a platform currently organizing shipments of relief supplies to Ukraine refugees in the surrounding countries and to Airbnb, who is providing free short-term housing to refugees. Kutcher and Kunis have been openly supportive of Ukraine since the beginning of the Russian invasion and announced they will be matching up to $3 million in donations. If you'd like to contribute to the LA-based couple's worthy cause, you can follow the link in today's show notes. And we're staying in California for our next story, which is perfect because it honestly sounds like something you would see in a movie. We're talking straight-up Gone Girl vibes. When I first heard this story, my jaw hit the floor. 
Sherry Papini, a mom from Redding, California, has been arrested after she faked her own abduction more than five years ago. She was first reported missing on November 2nd, 2016, and she was last seen going for a jog. She was then found on the side of the road 22 days later by a motorist in Yolo County, which is about 150 miles south from her home. And now we're learning that the whole time she was allegedly staying with an ex-boyfriend. Joining me now is People's Christine Pelisek. Hey, Christine. Hi. When the story first broke back in 2016, Sherry's husband, Keith, was, of course, devastated. He told GMA, quote, everybody who knows my wife knows that there's no reason for her to leave. She was definitely taken against her will. Can you take us back to what happened when Sherry was first reported missing? So she was reported missing by her husband. He came home from work and Sherry and the two kids were not there. And so he actually looked on his app to find out, you know, he he looked to see what location she was at and then discovered that uh, she was actually near their mailbox, which was about a mile away because they live in this like really rural area. So he ended up going there and he actually found her earbuds with like a big chunk of blonde hair. As we mentioned earlier, Sherry was found 22 days later. She told law enforcement that she was abducted and held at gunpoint by two Hispanic women. Tell me more about this, because this is kind of shocking. Yeah, well, she said that uh, she was abducted by two women. One was older and the other one was a younger woman. And she said that they wore like scarves around their faces so she really couldn't see them. She said that they beat her, they branded her, they cut her hair. You know, they told her that she was going to be sold off. She wasn't able to describe at the time, like where she went, like the police were like, you know, where do you think that you went? She didn't know. But she said that they brought her to a home and all she could hear was birds. And there was like loud music playing. So when she screamed, nobody would be able to hear anything. She said that she was handcuffed, locked to a pole and like shoved in the in this closet. So she really described this like unbelievable, like torture situation. She said actually when she arrived there, they had drugged her and she said she really didn't know and you know why they had taken her until she finally, you know, said she confronted them and then they made a comment about she was going to be sold. She said she got into a fight with one of the women at one point. So she really described this like really really scary you know, three weeks with these two women who were really cruel to her. That's a lot of details. And the fact that she had to inflict these injuries upon herself is just, it's so crazy to contemplate. According to her ex-boyfriend, he hadn't even seen her or talked to her in years and that he had dropped off a package. They were fiancés. They used to um, date in high school and he saw a package and it was all stuff about her in there, like mementos. And so he sent it to her dad. And then all of a sudden, like he gets his call from her and then she starts saying how she's like being abused by her family members and all this other stuff. And so he's like, okay, you know, I'll help her. And so he ended up, you know, driving up to Redding from Northern California and grabbing her and bringing her to his house where she stayed. And she stayed in this room, which she ended up describing to police. It was very similar. That's one of the things when they, the FBI arrested her. And in the affidavit, they said that, you know, she was describing the room and it was actually, she was describing the room where she was staying at her 
you know, ex-boyfriend's house. And uh, he had mentioned to the police that she wanted to be branded. And so he went to a store and got like this tool and basically branded her because that's what she wanted. His cousin said that, you know, she was hitting her head against the wall, like trying to get, you know, put bruises on her face and things along those lines and was purposely not eating. He said he could tell that she was actually trying to lose weight because when they found her, she was like 20 or so pounds or maybe even more than that, you know, thin. And then all of a sudden, at the, uh, he decide, she decided, I want to go home. I want to see my kids. So he ended up taking her back. Now let's talk about what happens next. Sherry is facing jail time and U.S. Attorney Philip A. Talbert spoke about this whole situation. What did he have to say about the kind of punishment that Sherry is is looking at for this entire thing? Well, I think that she could be looking up to, you know, at up to like 10 years. I know that a lot of times they say upwards of 20 years in prison, but they really factor in, you know, whether she had a criminal past and whether she pleads guilty. You know, there's so many factors that go in there. I mean, she could maybe serve less than a year if if that. It was really interesting how she was caught because, you know, they, the police, you know, didn't say, you know, what they thought, but the sort of a lot of people were thinking that it was staged, that she made it up. They did a DNA testing of her clothes and they found male DNA on her, on one of her pieces of clothing. So they actually tested the clothing and they were able to get a DNA sample from it. it they ended up using familial DNA testing to find out who it was. And what the familial DNA search does, it looks for a relative of somebody. And so that relative would be in prison. So they actually found the, a relative of the ex-boyfriend. And so from there, they surreptitiously followed the you know, ex-boyfriend and then they got a bottle. Actually, they found it in the trash. They got a bottle of green tea and they swabbed the you know top of the bottle and it matched to the DNA that was found on the sweatshirt. And so from there, they interviewed him and he admitted it. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to stop by and break down this wild story for us. Thank you, Christine. Coming up, my good friend Mac Jacobs stops by for some film talk, a little Oscars drama, a little Madonna biopic. What's not to love? But right after the break, it's Friday, and as promised, we have some new songs to sample before you start your weekend. Trust me, you'll be waiting to add them to your playlist. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. We're back and it is new music Friday here on People Every Day. So we're going to kick things off with a new track from this week's SNL music guest. You know this like you know just what you want. 
That's Charlie XCX's latest release, Baby, and I wouldn't be surprised to see her singing it this week on Saturday Night Live. You might remember she was actually scheduled to join Paul Rudd as the musical guest when he joined the Five Timers Club back on December 18th, but along with most of the cast and crew that week, Charlie came down with COVID. Glad to see she's doing well and back on the show. Keeping things moving, have you guys heard the new song from Camila Cabello and Ed Sheeran? It's called Bam Bam, and I'm kind of obsessed with it. Isn't that great? It feels like this perfect fusion of their musical taste, and honestly, I've had it stuck in my head all day. Last but not least, did you know American treasure Dolly Parton wrote a book? I can't believe it. Co-written with James Patterson, the book is called Run, Rose, Run, and it's a thriller about a young singer-songwriter on the rise and on the run, and determined to do whatever it takes to survive. I am sold. But of course, Dolly being Dolly, she has a new album to go out along with the book. Here's a little clip of her song called Woman Up. Seriously, what can't this woman do? She sings, she dances, she acts, and she apparently funds life-saving COVID vaccines. And now she's a novelist? We are all better people for living in the time of Dolly Parton. Madonna, Batman, Oscars. Three of my all-time favorite topics and ones you'd probably never expect to see together. But as luck would have it, the three have been keeping me very busy this week as a film news editor. Now here to help me break this all down, please welcome my friend and fellow Madonna fan and Oscar savant, Thrillist's culture writer and entertainment editor, Matt Jacobs. Welcome, Matt. Hello, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Now, Matt, given our similar expertise, let's do a little back and forth interviewing each other and see if we can work out our editor brains. Who is gonna play Madonna is one of the biggest casting questions Questions we've seen in quite some time. I know both of us are really eager to find out who Madonna casts. Who do you think should make the dream list for, for casting a Madonna? The list that's going around is pretty fascinating. I think my choice from that list and independent of it is Julia Garner, who I think has the widest range of any of the names that we've seen thrown out there so far, and also perhaps the best physical resemblance to Madonna. I don't know that we've ever seen Julia dance before, but it'll be interesting to see what she's capable of. Florence Pugh is an interesting one because I don't really see her quite in this role. I mean, she's gotten a lot of acclaim in the last few years for Little Women and Lady Macbeth. Black Widow, obviously. You know, I think of Florence Pugh, who's incredibly talented as somebody who's a bit more homely, a bit more warm and inviting. And, you know, Madonna has that kind of ambitious, almost, you know, edginess to her. And I'm just, I, I don't totally see it, but I'm very willing to be convinced. I'm kind of the same. I mean, she is a chameleon and she's a great actress, but looks wise, I don't see it. And she just seems to give off a different kind of energy and vibe than Madonna does or ha did in the past. So, but some other names floating around, you want to name them? 
Yeah, we've got Emma Laird, who's from Mayor of Kingstown, and Euphoria's Alexa Demi. I've also seen Sydney Sweeney, another Euphoria name out there, which I think makes some sense. Odessa Young, who's kind of an indie hotshot regular. Now, about Madonna's involvement, she is co-writing this. She's directing it. Uh, I didn't hate her last film, W.E., as much as some critics did. What are your thoughts? She said that the reason that she want to take it over is because others have attempted to write scripts about her life and they've all been men. So I sort of like that angle on it. I mean, this is a bit of an unusual situation. Often we see pop biopics where the artist is involved. We've seen a lot of these pop biopics, a lot of them in the last few years. And if she would do something a bit more outside the box because she can control the narrative herself, that could be really interesting. Okay, Mr. Sam Elliott. He is, as we know, known for playing these kind of gritty Western characters. That's very much his brand. And apparently he takes that brand very seriously. We found that out this week as he made news for some comments on Mark Maron's WTF podcast. Remember them from back in the day? Oh, the Chippendales? Yeah. Yeah. That's what all these cowboys in that movie looked like. Uh-huh. They're all running around in shaps and no shirts. There's all these illusions of homosexuality yeah. Yeah. throughout the f***ing movie. Yeah. I think that's what the movie's about. Yeah, he had some very choice words to say about the best picture frontrunner with the most nominations, The Power of the Dog, a, a film directed by a New Zealand female director, Jane Campion. This film was shot in New Zealand, but it is set in the American West, and that is the main issue that... Sam took issue with, calling it the evisceration of the American West. Mark Marin kind of grit his teeth. You could feel him, you know, you could sense how uncomfortable he was. What did you think about his comments? I was kind of taken aback. Yeah, I mean, it's very unfair to assume that somebody who's not from America can't make a insightful film about American culture. There were a lot of foreign directors who were very important to the founding of Hollywood, in fact. The sort of soft homophobia on his part is very disconcerting. But honestly, I think what he did is inadvertently help the power of the dog's Oscar chances. All right, now moving on to The Batman. And it's opening this weekend. It's highly anticipated. Zoe Kravitz, Robert Pattinson make for a very hot duo. Kravitz was on The Tonight Show earlier this week where she had this to say about screen testing with Mr. Twilight himself. I had to camera test with him and that was kind of funny. Wow. Just to camera test with someone you know dressed up as Batman and you haven't seen them in a while. He, was dressed, like, he was dressed as Batman? Yeah, they put him in, I think, George Clooney's suit. But then you kind of catch up, you know, you're like, so how you been, you know? And like, <laughs> Tell me how the headline out of the film that intrigue you most. I am very intrigued by Robert Pattinson re-embracing his celebrity status in a way that he seemed to sort of distance himself from in the post-Twilight years. He's very much gone the art house indie route, which I appreciate. He's taken on a lot of wonderful and eclectic roles. But it's sort of interesting to see him dip back into that mania of being, you know, a superhero star and everything. But I do wonder, like, how many Batman movies do we have left in our zeitgeist? 
The film is not really being billed as, you know, Christopher Nolan action epic. It's more of a detective story. So it seems a lot smaller scaled to those going into it. So that might be a deterrent for some, but who knows? Time will tell. We'll see. Thank you so much, Matt, for joining us for this enlightening conversation. Spring is just around the corner. I can smell it. And without jinxing anything, it seems like things will finally be returning back to normal soon. I mean, maybe, I hope. But with restrictions being lifted and the weather heating up, you might be thinking, hey, this is a great time to be getting back out into the dating world. And if you are, great. But just remember, it's important to be honest about what you want and don't want in a partner. And one woman who knows exactly what she wants in a man took to TikTok with her red flag list. I think she makes some great points and is definitely something to make you smile. This is my red flag list. If he doesn't hold the door for me, it's not that hard. If he doesn't like bingo, I don't date him because I love bingo. If he doesn't keep enough of soup for me in the refrigerator. I always like soup and meat soup. If he doesn't call me pretty all the time, I don't want nothing to do with him. Exactly. Maybe I'm old fashioned, but everyone deserves to be called pretty and eat soup. Well, thank you so much for listening today. This was honestly so much fun. Charlotte will be sitting in on Monday and Tuesday, but yours truly will be back behind the mic on Wednesday. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say this or supposed to say this, but I already know who one of our guests will be that day. And I honestly am freaking out a little bit. Here's a hint. They're a fellow Canadian like me who's famous for being into skater boys. That's all I can tell you for now. But enjoy your weekend and we'll be back Monday for more People Every Day. People Every Day is produced by Chrissy Lindquist, Tony Mantia, Madison Lesby, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, and the great team at Pod People, edited by Morgan Foose and Carter Wogan. People's producers are me, Janine Rubenstein, and Charlotte Triggs, with help from Elisa Sessler and Fallon Harge, executive produced by David Flumenbaum and Zoe Ruderman. <laughs> 